Well, uh, this has been a fantastic weekend for me. I, I just want to uh, tell you, any friends of Stephen are friends of mine for life. And uh, it's just, uh, you've been welcoming. I've got to share with at least a bunch of you. I wish I could have one-on-ones with all of you. Uh, I sense you've been teachable and you're open to what God's doing and saying. And I really mean it. You know, 10 words from Jesus are better than 1,000 words or 10,000 words from a preacher. So I pray your ears are open. And, uh, you know, as the days go ahead, you know, if there's anywhere, any way I can ever serve you, track me down through this guy. He'll know where I'm at because uh, I'm, I'm for you in every way. In some way, whether it's here or eternity, I just want to hear what God does in and through your lives. And, uh, you know, it could be that we'll come across each other again on the battlefield because it's our whole life, right? Until the end, we're going to be on the battlefield and we're just going to be about his business for him and through him. And, uh, you know, if we don't actually meet on the battlefield again uh, in Jesus, one day we as men are going to be together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Together, again, us. And together as men in Jesus, we will raise our glasses together, won't we? And we will toast the one who's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Because that's what we do as men. Amen? Amen. If you'll turn to Daniel chapter 6, I want to wrap up with uh, this area of influence. And I'm going to take it that most of you are a little bit familiar with this story of Daniel in the lion's den. So I'm just going to pull out some high points. And if you didn't get a note sheet, put your hand up. We'll get you a copy of that. Um, A survey was done, and they asked a a lot of business people, a lot of business people, big survey. If you you wanted to talk to someone about spiritual things or about your life, who would you most want to have a conversation with? And the categories were family, a clergy person, third missionary or evangelist, or a trusted co-worker. Which one do you think they chose? 90% of the time person in the business world said, man, it's those people I hang out with every day, a trusted coworker. That's the kind of person I'd like to have a conversation with. That's all of you. And how do we do that? Let's take a look at Daniel, Daniel six. And I'm just going to work through these. Remember the background here. Uh, Daniel was one as just a young man, maybe a teenager was ripped out of his homeland, the Hebrew land, and he was hauled off to Babylon. And Daniel did this kind of Issachar, men of Issachar kind of things. He was committed to understanding his times and knowing what to do. And Daniel didn't look at culture to be a slave of culture, where he just kind of became part of it and was squeezed into that mold. And he wasn't a stranger to culture, where he just said, I'm not going to have anything to do with any of those people. Daniel actually was the student of culture, and he started that way as a young man, and he continued on through. He knew his times, and he knew what to do. And you find here in the marketplace, and I mean, this was a rough world. You think you've got a rough-and-tumble world. I mean, in Daniel's world, when heads rolled, heads really did roll. Chapter before, big orgy, big drinking party, what the Bible politely says, concubines, you know, backstabbing and jealousy, and it was a challenging environment. And I think a lot of you men can relate here. 
But Daniel, to start off here, uh, it seemed good to Daniel, to Darius, the king here, to appoint. And if you look at the org chart there in verse 1, here's the way it flowed. Uh, And remember, Daniel served three kings and there'd be a fourth one at the end. But right here at the beginning of chapter 6, it was the Medes and the Persians who conquered the Babylonian Empire. So it'd be kind of like China conquering us and setting up their new org chart. How'd they do it? Top of the org charts, King Darius. Then comes three kind of commissioners, one of which was Daniel. Then there was 120 satraps, kind of governors, and they oversaw the entire empire of that part of the world. That's the background. Notice there, as Daniel has his role to play there, it says down in verse 3, then Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire empire. Here's the first thing. If you're going to have influence in your spheres and in the marketplace, it starts with a competence. It starts right there. You see these words here, that he had an extraordinary spirit and he started distinguishing himself, meaning he did what he did well. He showed up and he did what he was supposed to do. And Daniel's a young man. Remember, it was forced, but he started as a federal intern, right? Daniel chapter 1, 2 and 3, he kind of worked his way up, counselor and trusted consultant. Then he worked his way up. Chapter 4, he worked his way up so that he was in the upper echelons. And here we say that because of his good competency, the king's thinking, man, these guys are ripping me off. I'm going to put Daniel into the prime minister spot. Here's the first thing. If we're going to earn the respect of our colleagues and have a platform to share, it takes a certain credibility And there's a certain credibility that comes from competence. And so in the workplace, you know, if you really are prompt and industrious, if you have a good attitude and you work as a team well with other people where you're honest and you care, man, in some ways, others are going to see that. And in some ways, they're going to say, that's a person that I I can go to. If, on the other hand, you're half-hearted, bad attitude, tardy, (laughs) careless, and you whine all the time, I can guarantee you a whole lot of people, unless they're just like you, aren't going to have you as their go-to person. This area of competence is just kind of a big thing that maybe doesn't get talked about a lot, but you go to the Proverbs and just read through, you'll see this kind of lifestyle being something it's wisdom for life. And I just ask you, just as a little thing, do a little self-evaluation here with uh, laziness to competence in your marketplace experience. One to ten, where are you? You know, a ten is, you know, you're doing the best that you can. You're showing up with a good attitude. Doesn't mean you're a workaholic, because a workaholic's not good to anybody, and that catches up with men. But do you have your hand at the plow in the marketplace and competency is something you're growing in? That's a 10. One's just being lazy, just getting by. I'm just putting in the hours. Or if you're a student, you're forever saying, is this going to be on the test? 
you know, one to ten, where are you? And if you don't want to give yourself a number, give yourself a two. Where are you at? Here's the second thing. The second thing, it's not just competence that's the foundation to have influence in the marketplace. You find here it's kind of election year. You know, the king's thinking of promoting somebody. And, uh, you know, these kind of guys, when they hear that there might be a promotion here, I mean, they don't want that to happen, and they're going to try to undermine that every chance they can. And so if you keep reading in 4 to 6, they, keep, they just try to find skeletons in Daniel's closet. I mean, and Daniel here, by the way, he's in his 80s. I mean, think of it, in his 80s. Uh, how many guys in the room here are young guys? Could you put your hands up? Just your hands up. Young guys? Uh, okay, if you didn't know you were supposed to put your hand up, you're an old guy. How many are old guys in the room? <laughs> hey, look at here. Daniel's probably 85 years old. 85 years old. Here's the thing, men. No matter what your age is, you are not done until you're dead. I mean, you are not done until you're dead. Daniel's 85 years old, and I guarantee you his best years are ahead. If you're 60, if you're 70, if you're 85, and you're not thinking your best days can be ahead, you're buying a lie because your best days can be ahead. And Daniel models that. You've got something God's given you and built into your life, and you've got a lot to pass on to somebody else. You men do that. You are not done until you're dead. Amen? Man, this is good stuff here. Here's the second thing. They looked in his closet. I mean, 30 years before, was he a womanizer? Man, had he ever cut corners? I mean, they looked at everything, and they couldn't find anything in his work world or his private life. This just means Daniel put a priority on character. He did. And I commend you men to think about that as well. I want to keep growing in character And I want to make sure that's highly valued in my life because it's people of character that get to be people of influence. It's not perfection because part of character is, man, I messed up somewhat on that project and I got to own up to it. Hey, I can improve here. I need to grow here. Whoops, this relationship has got a little hiccup in it and I need to be willing to see if that can be bridged. That's character. It isn't perfection at all. Here's kind of what happens in our world today in in this graph. This is what often gets emphasized in our culture, maybe in your work world, is giftedness. Giftedness. Uh, Giftedness is athletic ability, it's looks, it's IQ, uh, you know, it's smarts. It it can be all kinds of things. Giftedness in areas. And there's specialization in your fields. This is often what gets prized. And is giftedness a good thing? Every good gift comes down from above. Giftedness is a wonderful thing. And you men, if you don't realize you're gifted, that you have talents, you have abilities, uh, you need to ponder that because God made you just right with incredible giftedness. But in our culture, often this is everything here. It gets the headlines, it gets on the front page of magazines. Giftedness. And sometimes we envy giftedness. I mean, you ever envied someone else's looks or athletic ability or hairline, waistline, or bottom line? I mean, come on, have you ever done that? It's easy to emphasize giftedness. It's easy to forget 
about character. But here's the thing. If somebody has giftedness, even great giftedness, and they don't pay attention to character, eventually it'll catch up with them, and that giftedness will implode in some ways. Academic guy did a study of all the leadership material throughout our nation's history. It was fascinating what he found. In the first 150 years of our nation's history, almost 100% of all the books that were written on leadership, almost 100% focused on character. That's the way you raised up a leader in America for the first 150 years. He studied it since then, and things started to turn a corner. And in leadership books today, you might have nothing or that much on character. It's all on image. It's all on how to get ahead. It's all about how-tos. And people in our culture, by and large, don't talk about this character thing. When it comes to influence, I tell you, it's men of competency and men who value character that are going to stand out. And that's what Daniel did. I hope we learn from that and glean from this person who ended up with great, great influence. Let's keep going just because of time and uh, track this through. These guys want to take Daniel out, and there's no way they can find a skeleton to take him out. So the only thing they can notice in him is this guy has communion with God. He's got devotion to God, our third thing. And they kind of go to the king, and they say, if you track down through the story, uh, here's their words uh, that they they say to the king. King Darius, verse 6, live forever. What are they doing there? Buttering them up. And then they say, oh, king, we got got a great idea. We got to do this. We want you to be God for 30 days. God for a month. No one in the whole uh, kingdom can pray to anybody but you. God for a month. And man, King Darius thinks, I didn't even come up with that. I think that's a great idea. And he probably didn't even read the document, but he signed the document. And in that culture, if you sign a document, because people thought kings were infallible, and he wanted to keep his image up, and he didn't have much character, he wasn't willing to change it. And they come to the king kind of playing sad, and they say, oh, king, something terrible has happened. There's somebody who hasn't honored your decree of being God for a month. And, oh, king, we're sorry to tell you that that person is Daniel, his buddy. And you'd think the king would just be inflamed by that and say, off with the guy's head. But if you look in verse 14, what's it say the king's attitude was? 14. Deeply distressed. Deeply distressed. And you find here, the king kind of points himself, Daniel's defense attorney, and he's looking for loopholes. That's how much he cared about this guy. And Daniel was already an influence in his life. Of course, there wasn't anybody. And uh, the king gives orders finally to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And the king saying... Uh, there, your God, whom you constantly serve, will deliver. Will you constantly serve? Will Himself deliver you? It's the pagan king who's saying, "Daniel, keep the faith, buddy. I'm hoping the best for you." That's an incredible influence here. 
but there was this communion with God that fueled everything Daniel did. He had a choice early on. Let's see, the decree came. I could stop praying for a month. Would you do that? I could close the blinds. You know, I could do this in my closet. Or I can pray with an open window like I've done for 80 years. And everything I've ever become and who I am is because of him. So Daniel said, I'm going to keep praying. I'm just going to keep praying. Here's the third thing you see in Daniel. And Daniel ends up in the lion's den. And you find here that there's incredible courage. Because Daniel didn't set his eyes on the lions. He set his eyes on the lion keeper. And you know the story. King's up all night. He's pacing the floor. He couldn't sleep. And he runs to the den in the morning. And he calls out to just see, man, is Daniel gone? Or is Daniel going to be there? And Daniel says, oh, king, live forever. And what was his attitude? He loved this pagan king. He loved him with a passion. And he said, my God sent an angel and shut the, the lion's mouth. Here's courage that Daniel has. And it's just incredible. And it's what God needs to build into us. I find this uh, fascinating. Uh, sociological study has been done for about 50, 60 years. Three lines, A, B, and C. And they've done this with children, teenagers, college students, adults. They've done it for decades, over and over, and it comes out the same. Uh, Three lines, A, B, and C. They bring ten people together at a time. But the hitch is they get nine of them off to a side before they all come together. And they say to the nine of them, we're going to ask you a series of questions, and uh, we're going to finally get to this question, these lines, A, B, and C. And we're going to ask you this question, which line's the longest? Guys, which line's the longest, A, B, or C? A. They say to the the group, we're going to ask you which line's the longest, and we're going to start this way. How many of you think the longest line is B? Raise your hands. And for these nine, when we say B, we want you to raise your hand and say B's the longest. We know A's the longest, but we want you to say B. Got it? They bring then the nine together with the the 10th person, and it's the 10th person who's the guinea pig. And they've got the cameras on the 10th person. And so they ask their questions, finally get to this one, and they kind of say, hey, here's some lines, everybody. How many of you think uh, B's the longest line? And confidently, nine hands go up in the air. What do you think person number 10 does? Here's what number 10 does 90% of the time. The person does a double take at the three lines. Kind of like, what? And then they look this way, and they look this way at the hands. And the person, overwhelmingly, the majority of the time, does this. Child, teenager, college student, and adults. You don't think peer pressure is huge and huge among us, it is enormous. This ability of the evil one in the system to try to squeeze us into a mold, it's huge. And if we're honest, we're all going to say, we've felt that, we've known that, and probably at points in our lives, we've done this. Twist. I don't know how they come up with these things, but a few years ago, they did a twist on this thing. They got the nine ahead ahead of time, and they said, when we say B, We want eight of you to do this. 
but we want one of you to do this. I don't think it's B. I think it's A. Got the setup. Then they got the camera going on the guinea pig again. Eight people immediately go like this. One person says, I don't think it's B. I think it's A. The majority of the time among children, teenagers, college students, and adults, I mean, it's like 60%. The other person, the guinea pig, stands now with the minority rather than the majority. 60 to 70% of the time. It just shows me that if we as men in a society that tries to squeeze everybody into the mold, if we will have courage like Daniel built into our lives, and we at times will be that one person who says, no, I think it's the other direction. Sometimes, like in this test, sometimes 60-70% of the people immediately will hear what the minority is saying and begin to stand with us. Sometimes it might take a year. And some issues, it might take your entire life to bring people your way. People like William Wilberforce in England trying to overcome slavery, it took him his entire life and on his deathbed, finally, finally, slavery became unlawful. But finally, people came that way. Men, courage is something huge today. And when it comes to influence, that's something that we're called to be confident and courageous men. In this idea of reaching out and sharing, confidence is something huge. You can have a lot of tools and be competent. Man, I could share a little bit. I could tell my story. But a lot of times it comes down to courage. Where's courage come from? I believe first and foremost, courage comes from the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 1 you know what the disciples were doing in Acts chapter 1? They were hiding in an upper room. I think it was locked and they were trembling. Acts chapter 2, they came alive and were filled with courage. What made the difference? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. You know, I love Ananias in the Bible. You might not be too familiar with him, but he's there listed 12 times. God taps him on the shoulder. And he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't any you know, special, ordained, you know, traditional person of, of the ministry. He was just kind of probably a business person. He's kind of the, the person who was just there. Who's God choose? Ananias. Taps him on the shoulder. I, I want you to go to talk, talk to someone for me. Oh, sure, God. Who do you want me to talk to? I want you to go and talk to uh, Saul. Saul who? God tells him. You mean Saul who's on the front page of the newspaper? You mean Saul who's come to Damascus to kit me or to kill me? You mean that Saul who's the terrorist? The terrorist? Yeah, yeah, that guy. Go to Straight Street and talk to Saul. I mean, if you were in Ananias' shoes, what would you do? I love this guy, Ananias. I mean, it must have been hard. But he took a step in the direction of obedience and he goes to Straight Street. And I'm convinced when he knocks on that door, he's saying, Oh, Lord, let there be no one home. Let there be no one home. <laughs> and who's there? Saul's there. And here's the words that come out of his mouth. 
brother Saul, and the rest is history. Do you believe God could reach a terrorist? You better, because a big chunk of your New Testament was written by a terrorist, a Christian terrorist named Saul who became Paul. Ananias, what if he wouldn't have shown up? What if he wouldn't have shown up? Would we, have, would we be here? Here's the thing I found. How many of you guys believe in uh, omnipotence? You know, God being all-powerful? see a lot of hands in the air. I, I, I've wrestled with this. Yeah, I believe in it. That's what I'm taught. You know, I believe this book from cover to cover. God's all-powerful. But the question I had for years was, how does that power get from heaven to earth? How does it get from God to me? Here's what I have found, and I need to do it over and over again. I do this almost every week of my life. There's calls I don't want to make. There's people I don't want to talk to. There's situations that I don't want to try to get straightened out. There's just things that I kind of back off and, uh, you know, I'm faint-hearted in. Here's what I found. How's the power get from God to me? I find in Scripture, here's what I need to do. I need to make a choice to step in the direction of obedience. And it's while I step in the direction of obedience, the power comes along the way. At the Red Sea, they're backed up, aren't they? What did they need to do? Move toward the Red Sea, and the Red Sea parted. Jordan River, what they need to do? They wanted to go into their promised land. You know, the, kind of the picture is they step in the water ankle deep, and then God stops the waters upstream, and they, drop, they crossed on what time, kind of ground? Dry ground. Dry ground. They had to take that step. Remember the lepers? Uh, you find their ten of them, they say, uh, Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priests. Go show yourselves to the priests. Here's what the scripture says. They're probably saying, walk across town. The day's hot. But maybe one of them said, come on, let's go. Jesus said that. It said, while they were going along the way, the power came along the way, and they had this great work of God. Even for Jesus, he depended, right, upon the Father. Uh, in the garden, you know, Jesus is saying in his humanity, uh, Father, is, is there any other way? Take this cup from me. You know, I know what's coming, and wow, this is huge. But then Jesus says in the garden, not my will, but what? Thy will be done. And Jesus took a step in the direction of Calvary. God gave him, the Father, all the strength that he needed. I find, guys, that that's huge for me. I need often, when I'm hesitant, to have that little conversation with God. God, I need you to help me here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of holding back. I'm going to take a step in this direction and pick up the phone, or I'm going to go to that meeting, and I need the strength to come along the way. Men, in your marketplace, you might need to just say, well, I don't want to have a conversation with that person. I'm kind of scared of this. I don't know which way this could go. But if the Spirit of God is prompting you to say something, do something, get involved, become a friend, be a good listener, just say, God, I'm going to step in that direction. And I believe God will provide the strength you need along the way. If you say, hey, God, give me the strength in big fold before I even step, a lot of times it doesn't work that way. Often when I get up to speak, I, I say these words to myself like I did this morning. Uh, do not be afraid. 
Do not be silent. Go on speaking. I will be with you. In the book of Acts, Paul needed to hear those exact words from Jesus. You can find it in the book of Acts. If Paul needed to be reminded, do not be afraid, do not be silent, go on speaking, I'm with you. If Paul needed to hear that, don't we as men need to hear that? Boy, those 10 words from the voice of Jesus, better than 10,000 from a preacher. If you listen for that voice, the voice where Jesus speaks, it makes a difference when it comes to courage. You know what the number one uh, command of all the Bible is? Number one. Yeah, that's uh, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. What's the second commandment? Love your neighbor. You know, those are the great commandments. But when it comes to the commandment that's most repeated in the Bible, make disciples? Nope. Do not fear. Do not fear. I heard it three times. 366 times in the Bible. One for every day of the year plus leap year. God knew we as men needed to hear that command. Do not fear. And often attached to it is I will be with you. I tell you, when you begin to have a sensitivity to having competence in the workplace and you're growing in that direction, when character's valued, when there's a communion and devotion to God, and then when there's courage, I guarantee you, there will become increasingly, you'll be a, peop, a person that others will say, hey, I want to know that person. That, that person has something to offer into my life. Doors will open. They just will. And for Daniel here, it's kind of incredible. This thing breaks out, and the king ends up throwing, in verse 24, uh, these scoundrels into the lion's den, and the lions really were hungry, and, and they're just chewed up right away. And then Daniel, if you look at the end, he makes a decree about the living God. And remember, in Daniel 1-4, to it took him 25 years, but I'm convinced he reached Nebuchadnezzar, the king, in Daniel 4. Daniel chapter 1, oh, it's kind of like that young guy Daniel. He, he, he's got an interesting God. Daniel chapter 2, it's kind of like, wow, that God knows about things. Daniel chapter 3, remember the fiery furnace? Oh, that God can deliver. Wow. It looks like in Daniel chapter 4 when the king is humbled and finally surrenders, it looks like he says, Daniel's God's my God. Here with Darius, we don't quite know all of what God's done in his life. But look at this declaration of what the king says about the living God. It's incredible here. And you find here in the chapter, notice who's mentioned in the second half of Daniel 6. Who's, who's the person first mentioned in verse 14? Who's the person first mentioned in 14? The king. Yeah, who's mentioned uh, three times in verse 15? King. Who's mentioned in 16? Yeah, over and over. Uh, Who's mentioned in, uh, let's see, in uh, 18? King. Down in uh, 19? King. 20? You know, you'd look down here, 22, 23, 25. It's a king. Here's what's happening in Daniel chapter 6. The focus 
in Daniel chapter 6 is on the king. Daniel is merely a tool of God for influence on the king. This is something God's doing because God cares about that king and he wants to reach out to that king. Daniel's the tool. And God's put you where he put you and he didn't make a mistake right now in your marketplace experience because he wants you there in part to be an influence to other people. May God use each one of you and you walk with courage. I've got a a guy I've been with several times and uh, he tells this... uh, this story. He, uh, he, he moved around a bit, but he ended up in a ministry situation in New York City. And uh, every day he lived in, a, in an apartment, and he'd take the, the bus, and he'd go over Roosevelt Island into Manhattan. And uh, he got to know, he got a big heart for lots of people. He got to know the bus drivers. And uh, he... Uh, once a month or so, he'd invite the bus drivers of New York City, a bunch of them, to his apartment and have a big breakfast for them. And so, uh, you know, he's there one day, and one of the bus drivers in front of everybody says, Gordon, you do, you, you, you have an interesting job, and you meet with a bunch of interesting people. At the time, Gordon was meeting with the President of the United States, and he, you know, did conferences, and he met with folks. You have a very interesting job, and you meet with interesting people. All we do is drive these dumb buses every day. And Gordon thought about that, and he said these words. Guys, I got an idea for you. It's just an idea, but think about it. I'd suggest for the next few months, on Monday morning, when you get on your bus, before your eight-hour starts close the door, stand up on the bus, and out loud say this. For the next eight hours, I declare this bus a sanctuary for Jesus Christ. No matter who gets on or what happens, this bus is a sanctuary, and everything that happens that I have influence over is going to be done for the glory of God and to reach out and care for people on that bus. This bus is a sanctuary in Jesus' name. Amen. He said... The bus drivers looked at him like he was a loony guy. Like this is the craziest idea that has ever been echoed. But one of the bus drivers said, I could do that. And then a second guy said, I could do that. And then it kind of was one of these deals around the room. Yeah, I I could do that. (laughs) Three months later, Gordon says, "I I was sitting on the bus and I was talking to the bus driver and I said... Charlie, Charlie, how's that sanctuary thing going? And here's what Charlie said. He said, Gordon, to be honest with you, that sanctuary thing has changed my life. It's changed everything. My attitude and my approach. I do it every single morning. He says, just this week, there was an ornery guy that was out of control that was yelling and screaming because he wanted me to stop, and I couldn't stop except at the bus stop, and he wanted me to let him off in the middle of the street. And the woman sitting behind me whispered over to me, Charlie, if that were me, I would have knocked him in his teeth. The woman says that. And Charlie says, all I could do is mumble back and say, that's the way I used to be. But you can't do that when you drive a sanctuary. 
Gordon said, I've gone all over and told that story. And across the nation, I know pilots who no longer fly 747s, they fly sanctuaries. I know doctors who they no longer operate in operating rooms, they operate in sanctuaries. I've started telling the story. I know teachers that no longer teach in classrooms, they teach in sanctuaries. I don't know if any of you guys in the room kind of say, oh, I just drive a dumb bus or I just work uh, whatever. Maybe it would serve you well Monday morning, get there a little early and declare your workspace a sanctuary. Maybe it'll change everything because God wants to use each one of you as men of influence. Amen? Let me uh, close with this. Uh, some of you guys know I went through Hurricane Katrina, and it really, uh, I am fundamentally a different person. Uh, God did so many things and needed to do things. And I'm just sorry it took a hurricane to do some of the things he needed to do in my life. But uh, I operated in a nice, safe, comfortable suburban community and church. And God wanted to push me out of that world into an unsafe, uh, crazy kind of place. And he wanted to grow me up and teach me mostly a greater dependence upon him. And uh, I can remember, guys, uh, a year before Katrina hit, I, uh, I was a good planner and the elders of the church uh, appointed me strategically to lead a, a long-range planning kind of deal. And I worked on it for most of a year. And we brought the staff in and elders and ministry leaders and people and, you know, kind of got input. But I was putting this together. And three weeks before Katrina hit, uh, that was August 29, 2005, I presented to the elders 75 pages of a plan. And I tell you, it was good. Believe me, it was good. Charts, graphs, projections. What we were going to do, Katrina hit August 29th. I had projections of what we were going to do in September, what we were going to do in January, what we are going to do a year down with buildings, building staff, bringing on new staff, you know, new ministries, you know, kind of that whole picture in the future. And I presented the elders. I don't know how it works in your church, but I've found in church ministry over the years, you rarely get things all approved in in one instance. Usually you got to go back and talk about a few things and you need to pray some more and get a little bit more input and, you know, two months down the line, six months down the line, you know, you move things through. But it's usually slow in uh, church work. That night the elders looked at Michael's plan and they unanimously approved it. We all went home and went to bed. I'm convinced the Trinity stayed up. And the Father said to Jesus at some part of the evening hours, hey Jesus, have you seen Michael's plan? <laughs> and I think Jesus had a little snicker there and said to the Holy Spirit, I think, I think, uh, I think Michael's not going to accomplish that much through his plan. I, I think we should come up with a plan of our own. And I think they were just belly laughing over my 75 pages. And they said, uh, let's come up with a plan and Eh, maybe we'll call it Katrina. And I wouldn't wish a Katrina on anybody, but I wouldn't trade what God did in my life for anything.
Because here's what I found out. God's plan's always, always, always better than my plan, even if it's tough. It's always better than my plan. God did more than Michael's plan, you know. What would it have accomplished? God's plan, you know, all kinds of things happen. But I can remember just, uh, it was October 5th, my birthday, and I worked 18-hour days, seven days a week. People were living and dying in shelters and hospitals and hurting badly. Every day, worked 18-hour days. And uh, I ran home just for a few minutes, and, and then I had to be right back up. We had all these volunteers and teams in. And I'm at home for 20 minutes. It's my birthday, and a woman in a VW shows up, and she comes in and says, I need to talk to you. And, and, and I know it's your birthday, and I'm thinking, how does she even know it's my birthday? And she says, Michael, I've got something for you. And she reaches into her purse. This is all I had in my room. She had a little carnation. And she reaches into her purse and she pulls out a little carnation. And she says, here, Michael, happy birthday. Remember? And I'm kind of looking at it saying, kind of, sort of, maybe, but tell me. (laughs) She says, four years earlier you preached how God is all-powerful and God can do anything and God can work a miracle if he wants to and she said at the end of service you said you had a whole bunch of carnations up front if you need a miracle in your life go up and grab a carnation take it home put it in a prominent spot and pray every day to the God who's able she says I walked up I picked up this carnation and uh I took it home and I prayed every day for four years. She says, I prayed for my daughter. Uh, My daughter wasn't walking with the Lord. And every time I tried to tell her that, she didn't want to hear it. She just amped up what she was doing. And I tell her all the time, get rid of all your friends. They're no good. She didn't get rid of any of them. Finally, I just got to the point where I couldn't talk anymore. All I could do was look at this little carnation on my bathroom mirror And every day for four years straight, I prayed for my daughter. Katrina wiped her out. She was first floor apartment in New Orleans, and she lost everything. She and her husband were forced to flee to Baton Rouge, and she said, because of Hurricane Katrina, she's made a decision to come back to Jesus. She sits on the front row of the church she's attending in Baton Rouge, and her Bible's open, And you know, every single one of those friends that I couldn't stand and wanted her to get rid of, she's calling on the phone and talking to them about Jesus. She says, Michael, four years of praying, my prayer's been answered. You said when the prayer's answered, bring the carnation back to you. So here it is. Happy birthday, Michael. I tell you, I got that carnation at home. It doesn't get any better than that as a pastor. Doesn't get any better than that. My birthday was made. Then she reached into her purse and she said, uh, she pulled out a second carnation. And she said, Michael, I got a confession to make. That day you told us to come up and pick up one carnation, I went up and picked up two. Meaning I stole it and I need to confess that to you. (laughs) She said, Michael, I didn't need one miracle, I needed two. My son wasn't walking with the Lord either. And everything I did backfired. 
I tried preaching and I tried persuading and I tried manipulating. didn't work. All I could do was shut up and look at that carnation in the bathroom and pray to God every day for four years. She said this week, her son had to flee to Houston. And he called us on the phone and he said to us, I've made a decision for Jesus. And in my new church, I'm getting baptized this Sunday. And when you and dad come and watch me get baptized, I'll never forget those words. And she said, Michael, my prayer's been answered. Here's carnation number two. Happy birthday. It doesn't get any better than that. And here's what I want to do in closing. If you'd let me, I'd like to just pray. I'd like to pray for you men in closing. Because uh, you've heard enough for me, so let me just pray. And uh, if you just close your eyes for just a moment. And I know you've heard too many words from me, but maybe you have heard six or ten words from Jesus. And uh, before I pray... If there's any man in the room and you, you came here this weekend or even right now and you just feel robbed of your spiritual passion or you just feel like it's not all there and I want it to be there with more fervor and more realness, would you mind with heads bowed, would you just stand if that's you? I feel robbed of some spiritual passion and I just want to say, oh God, be that miracle worker to do something in me. If that's you, would you stand? And if Jesus said something to you this, this weekend, I mean something that, you know, kind of was, you heard his voice and you know that it's a big thing and you need to step in that direction. And maybe it's about the Great Commission. Maybe it's about sharing with someone. Maybe it's just, you know, something that... God's spoken to you, and you want to put a stake in the ground and just say, Jesus, I've heard. And I mean, it's something that just, you've heard. It, you heard, you know you've heard, and you want prayer for that. Would you stand? And lastly, if, you, if, if you're here, and, uh, you know, I don't know you guys, or just a tiny bit from talks today, but you're at the place in your life where in some way you're like that friend of mine back on October 5th, 2005, and you say, I'm at a place in life where I need a miracle. I'm just stuck on something. I need a breakthrough. I need, God, your hand so strong because this thing's so beyond me. And maybe it's a son or a daughter, or maybe it's your workplace, or maybe you're unemployed, or maybe just inside there's a depression that you can't break break free from maybe there's an anxiety that just it, it has just so far you've been stuck I don't know what it might be but if you say today you personally need a miracle could you put your hand in the air you need a miracle oh God I don't know what these hands or these men standing represent but God, I know you need, you know every single one of them. You know these men by name and you know every hair on their head. 
you've said to us to make our requests known. And so, God, whatever all of this represents in the room, I lift it up before you, Jesus. You are able to do super abundantly beyond all, beyond all that we could ever ask or think. And Lord, if you want to do the miracle right now in this moment, in this room, I pray that it would be so. And God, if your call for these men is for a time to wait, I pray that these men have the grace to wait upon the Lord and you renew their strength so that they might mount up with wings as eagles and they might run and not grow weary and they would walk and not faint. And oh God, I'll thank you now for the work that you're going to choose to do on behalf of your most cherished, beloved sons in this room. And let's wrap up with a benediction as men. And uh, these are words that are echoed in heaven in words that we can say today. And so would you repeat after me these words from Revelation in your man voice? Repeat after me these words. Worthy is the Lamb, Worthy is the lamb. That, was slain that was slain to receive power, to receive power. and riches and wisdom, and and might, and and honor, honor, and glory, and and blessing blessing. to him who sits on the throne, throne. and to the Lamb, lamb. be blessing, blessing. and honor, honor. and glory, Glory. and dominion dominion. forever Forever. and ever. ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.